This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Hey guys, Toby Mathis here, and today we have Jamie Lane, the Chief Economist of AirDNA, and we're going to get into that discussion of, is Airbnb dead? Is it uh, is this an area that you should no longer be investing in because it's a really bad idea because it's shrinking and the states are destroying it, cities are banning them? And there's no growth ever again because, you know, Airbnbs are horrible. Or is it something other than that? So I want to dive right on in. Jamie, first off, welcome. Thanks, Toby, for having me. Hey, it, it, it's always fun to have a numbers guy. And, I'm, and, I, <laughs> and I always figure people lie, numbers don't, but people do like to manipulate numbers, right? <laughs> so you're, you're the chief economist of the, uh, of the organization. That's probably the best number counter of this area. And so based off of what you're seeing, first off is Airbnbs, are these, is it dead? Is it crashing? Is there an Airbnb bubble that's destroying the market? What's the reality? Yeah. And the reality is, is we've got record number of people staying in short-term rentals. We hit a record in 2021 uh, that we increased that number by another 20% in 2022. And then we increased it by another 10% in 2023. Uh, so there's more people than ever staying in short-term rentals. We are seeing a normalization in terms of industry performance. Mm-hmm. So we hit record highs in terms of occupancy. So people were selling their unit more than ever in 2021. We have seen a lot of new supply come in. We actually saw a pretty big decrease in supply throughout 2020 because of the pandemic, people pulling their home out of the market. So really this normalization is a supply story, not a demand story. And so now supply is going at, coming back. We're bringing occupancy back down to sort of normal levels. And we hit sort of pre-pandemic, we were running about 55%. 2021, we hit 63%. That's going to be a high watermark for sort of going back probably through the end of time. And we're never going to hit that high of occupancy on average for a year again. But now we're running about 58%. And while that's down from the highs, that's still well above what we were at pre-pandemic and a really healthy level of occupancy when looking at new investments and sort of needing to get the returns um, for a short-term rental. All right. So let's, I, I live in Las Vegas, so I always think of occupancy rates is 90%. We're probably <laughs> right around there, right? So let's just put it in perspective. I have 100 units in a hotel Yep. and I'm occupied 90%. That means 90 of those units every single day is used. Now there's some days where it's 80 and some days where it's 100, right? I can't go above 100%. Yep. So when I normalize it out, my occupancy rate for the month might be 90%, but really it means I'm sold out every weekend. Yep. If I added another hotel, so there's only 100 rooms, now I add a Second hotel and both hotels now have 80% occupancy rate. What the people are doing is saying, look, Airbnb occupancy rates are dropping. Is that, is that what's going on? And they're saying, look at these massive declines because the hotel that was sold out, maybe the average rate was 200 bucks, but during the weekends, they jacked that up to 500 because they're sold out. They can do it. Is, is that what's going on with Airbnb? Yeah, absolutely. So we're distributing the demand across more units. Rates were unbelievably high and increasing the past couple of years. So ADR, so the average daily rate for a short-term rental went up 10% um, last year. That is massive pro- pricing power. The average revenue that a short-term rental was earning is up 30% over the past four years. 
So I, I, I got to just stop you right there. Yeah. <laughs> Last four years, earning per unit. Earning per unit is up 30%. All right. 30%. So now we're talking about declines of nationally, we're going down about 2% right now. Mm-hmm. So up 30% down 2% and the 2% is supposedly a, a crash in earnings. Like it's still a great time to be a, a, an investor and owner and operator. Now you mentioned, I mentioned 90% occupancy here in Vegas. Obviously that's not what it is for the country and it's really hard mm-hmm. to get that data, but you mentioned 58%. What's the magic number do you think for Airbnbs? Is it 50% occupancy? So your units, like, so if I'm buying a a property and I anticipate making it into an Airbnb, should I just basically say, hey, half the time it's going to be vacant? And it really depends on your market. So if you're in a market like, let's say Hawaii runs highest occupancies for short-term rentals, it's a 90% occupancy market. Like there's no seasonality. The Mm -hmm. reality is though, is that most markets that people are staying in short-term rentals are highly seasonal. Like if you've got a unit in Cape Cod on the coast, you're going to be lucky if you, you've you got a peak season, a four-month period, and then the property is sort of sitting empty the rest of the time. So I there's no sort of magic number because it, it's really market dependent. A lot of major cities, like sort of 60% sort of the magic number. And a lot of that sort of works around sort of long weekend travel. And you might be empty sort of midweek and rent out every weekend. So if you're able to rent out three or four mm-hmm. nights a week, like that's great. But you're going to max out at 60% occupancy. So it's it's really around the sort of seasonality of your market, both by month and by day of the week on when demand's coming and wanting to stay. And if somebody wants to know for their area, that's what AirDNA does. Like you that, literally <laughs> go in there and say, in this area, what's the occupancy rate? Yep. You can say, what, what's the occupancy? What's the ADR? What's, what does demand and ADR look like by day of the week? And how does it vary within each submarket, with each neighborhood within the market? Like there can be cities like in Las Vegas, if you're near the strip versus and out in the suburbs where the demand and the reason why people are staying, like if you're by the hospital and you get people for staying a week or two at a time, you can have much higher, more sustainable occupancies than if you're at the strip getting sort of weekend traffic. Have you guys ever looked at the data? Like, where's that break even? Like, hey, it's not worth it to move into a city that has 20% occupancy rates, but it is worth it to move into a city that has 50% occupancy rates. Like, is there, has there ever been a study on that? Yeah. And that we actually have a score called our, our market grade score that looks at that. So it's, it's looking at the revenue potential, what you could earn given sort of current occupancy and ADRs. It's looking at the housing costs. It's looking at occupancy levels. It's looking at sort of all those matrix metrics and then grading it. So ones with a high score, like you should be looking at this. Ones with a low score, like and you you can you can keep looking. Yeah, like avoid them for now. Yeah. Now, as a whole, people are traveling more now than they were a year ago, two years ago. What what does it look like going into the future? What's because housing, and we'll get into this. There's no housing. Yep. Like, there's no inventory. So is that the same thing in the world of Airbnbs? Yeah. So the the thing about a lot of Airbnb inventory it is it is a lot of people's second homes that they're looking to start generating revenue off of. Uh, so the inventory for short-term rentals can increase without any change in actually investment in people looking to buy homes dedicated to short-term rentals. So actually, if we go through a recession, I'm over the next year or two, that could actually cause an increase in short-term rental inventory because of people that now 
want to start renting out their home when they wouldn't have otherwise like and things are going great. I've got my second home. I want to use it. Or their yeah. home, right? Like, couldn't I just house hack and say, look, I got an extra bedroom and I'm and I lost my job. I'm going to rent it out. Right. And that, that could actually be bad if that happens and all of a sudden traveler demand goes down. And that mm-hmm. that that causes that would cause occupancy to go down. But and that's not necessarily what we're expecting. We are looking out over the near term expecting demand to continue to increase and continue to increase at a pretty healthy rate. So our expectation is about 10% growth next year in, in overall demand, even with sort of a mild recession baked into our outlook. And a big piece of that is we're just seeing greater and greater adoption of short-term rentals for different forms of travel. We saw more people try it for the first time during the pandemic. And now people, as they start to do group travel, uh, family travel, multi-generation travel, that and why would I want to stay at a hotel with my family when I could rent out a three-bedroom home, four-bedroom home and use that, be able to save money by cooking, using a kitchen? And then secondarily, there is not a lot of hotel construction going on right now. We're going to see the least number of new hotels constructed over the next couple of years in a, in a really long time, given the sort of tough dynamics of new commercial construction. Interest rates are, are up, so building is down. We're not keeping up with demand on the single family side. So they're building apartments like crazy. And now with interest rates so high, you're seeing that take a, take it in the nose. Commercial, they're talking about the big crash because there's just not enough people using office space. And they're talking about that crash and all this yep. crash, that crash, the other crash. They never talk about the opportunities that are being presented because some people aren't building and, and, and adding. And you just mentioned hotels. So if if there was a demand number, how much does travel typically increase on an annual basis? Yeah. So we look at the data from us and look at it from um, Smith Travel Research covering the hotel industry. And, and you can look back decades and see travel demand is typically increasing by about 2% per year. Part of that's mm-hmm. population, part of that sort of inbound international growing, um, and more people spending more on travel as opposed to other things. But general rule, 2% a year. Uh, Hotel supply is only going to be growing by about 1% over the next five years. Mm. That means that there is a significant opportunity. And there's going to be more uh, demand than there is an increasing supply. And my theory is that short-term rentals are the only way that that demand can be accommodated and that there's going to be increasing demand and and short-term rentals are going to be able to grow to satisfy it. Yeah, unless you go into a city where the, it already has a really low occupancy rate, then maybe those guys could absorb it. But in, in in places like Vegas, Miami, right, places that have high, like really Hawaii, it is kind of the only game in town. That's really interesting that now that I think about it. So lots of travelers, and we need to give them options and places to stay. If we don't, then expect hotels to continue to raise rates because their occupancy rates are creeping up. Because of the extra travel, and then here's the uh, the safety valve. Really, is the Airbnbs and the VRBOs of the world, right? Yeah, and the new hotel construction is very concentrated in the top 25 MSAs. We know that demand for travel is growing most outside of those top 25 MSAs. Uh, what are, really what are MSAs gro- for people who don't know what uh, multi, um, uh, metro statistical areas. So essentially, the 25 largest population centers. And that's where banks can get comfortable that the demand's going to be there. Like, like a Las Vegas and Miami, like, yeah, tourists are going to be there. Yes, long term, hotel's going to make sense. But for a bank to get comfortable of investing in a market like and lending in a market like 
Chattanooga or, or uh, Birmingham or areas that are actually really attractive right now for travelers and wanting to go to are mm-hmm. even like coastal and mountain markets like and not maybe the populations to say like this could support a new hotel, but really strong traveler demand. And we'd see almost no uh, new lodging outside of short-term rentals coming into those type of markets. Yeah, I just did a, uh, just went to a wedding in the hill country of Texas and I was kind of shocked. They did it at at an Airbnb that had a bunch of land, it was a ranch. Uh There was no hotels out there. The hotels were, the closest hotel was probably 20 minutes away at another smaller city and they were all kind of your off-brands, right? It just, there wasn't any great place to do anything out there. And I think uh, it, you could tell the private market, the Airbnbs, that's where everybody was staying for the most part, uh, was what was uh, uh, allowing that to occur. So what would you say to somebody? Because you and I see the same stuff going on in the news, that Airbnb is dead, it's going to crash. Airbnb is going to crash, and it's going to cause the housing market to crash. What would you say to somebody who repeated some of that to you? Yeah. And there's maybe two different things in that sort of statement. One is that the short-term rental market's collapsing. We don't see that. We see revenues down two, three percent nationally, uh, which is not a collapse, especially not, when revenues are up thirty percent. Like the, the use of it's up, but the revenue per unit is down, or is it yeah, overall yeah. revenue is down? Revenue per unit is down. Overall revenue is increasing. So revenue yep. per unit is decreasing, though still high historically, but not decreasing in a way that's causing an uptick in people sort of le- leaving the market or causing the overall profitability of existing short-term rentals to sort of turn negative. So if you've got a house that you bought in 2019 and underwrote your investment, and now you're seeing revenues up 30% relative to what you sort of underwrote at, and your interest rates are still, you sort of locked into a 30-year fixed rate in 2019, super low rates, like you're looking pretty. And you could see some pain as people that maybe bought in 2022 after interest rates went up, when housing values sort of reached and their high levels, and with the expectation that those high revenues were going to continue to increase at an increasing rate. Your projections may have been unwarranted because you were the only game in town in a city that needed housing. And then as the housing fills in, all of a sudden your your revenue dropped. So, you know, you really should have been doing your data crunching from AirDNA saying how much is this thing going up and, and, and how much growth is coming in. What is the overall demand? And by the way, like you're not Airbnb. No. You're just you're just a data aggregator, right? You're just you're just helping the, those owners and collecting all the data. Is it just Airbnb or is it VRBO too? Is it Yeah, it's other- it, it's all listings on Airbnb and Verbo. Um and we sort of model and what's happening in terms of total revenue, total occupancy, total ADRs that these these properties are earning. So you guys uh, don't have a dog in the fight. You're not sitting here saying Hey, I'm pro Airbnb because I have an investment in Airbnb or I have a bunch of Airbnbs or my business is Airbnb. You're just looking at it saying, here's the facts. We do and support short-term rental investors. So if there's no one investing in the short-term rental industry, I'm, we'd, be out, we'd be out of business. Uh, so so I, I won't, I won't say we're, we don't necessarily have a dog in the fight, but we, Keep people subscribed to our data by providing them good data. And if we were providing them bad or misleading data, people would stop subscribing to us. Then let me change this around a little bit to ask you a question. Are you going up or are you going down and how many people that are using your service? Oh, we're (laughs) we're still going up. Yeah, that that would tell you whether or not 
there's investors out there is is if you service investors. Yep. It's kind of, it's kind of like if I if I sell mops, I can tell whether a lot of people are cleaning their floors, right? <laughs> so yeah. is it going up? Uh, we're we're still going up. Yep. And a, a big piece of it is sort of our penetration to the overall industry. So like let's say we've got 40, 50,000 subscribers. There are 4 million Airbnb hosts out there. So uh-huh. our penetration into that market is I mean, just a, a piece of it. There's a hundred or a million hosts just in the US. And then sort of the other piece of your question though, around sort of if Airbnb revenues collapse, could that cause a collapse in the housing market? I think that is almost a, a laughable sort of a, a conclusion given that short-term rentals are just such a small piece of the overall housing pie. How, how small a piece? So there's... On average, over this past year, there's about 1.3 million short-term rentals available to be booked in the in the entire United States. Okay, separate are these separate structures, or are these could you have two in one structure? So about half of those are in single-family homes. The other half are in multifamily buildings. Oh wow! So we're talking about you said one. What was it? 1.2. Yep. 1.2 million. Yep. And uh, 1.2, 1.3. And how many housing units are there in the, I think it's what, 140 million plus housing units. So we're talking about what, a less than 1%. Yep. And in in most major cities, it's less than 0.5%. So a very small piece of the overall pie. And then separately, like even with these revenue declines, we're still seeing net increases in short-term rentals. So there's churn happening. There's always churn sort of people sort of finding other use cases, selling homes, sort of coming in or coming out of the market. But we're still seeing more people come in than we're seeing leaving, which is continuing to grow the overall supply picture. And it's interesting. I think you said something earlier that resonates with me, at least. People, this might be their second house. This may be their home. Because I remember Airbnb, the way it was pitched to me was, hey, when you go on vacation, you should rent your house out. It's tax free. There's a section 280A where you can rent your house out to up to 14 days. You don't have to recognize it as income. So when you go on your two week vacation, rent your house out to somebody else. So somebody stays in your home. I always thought that was weird. That seemed to be the value proposition. Tax free money pays for your vacation or at least pays for a big chunk of it. And then you come back and you do it there. So there's people that could just say, I'm going to Airbnb my house. I got two extra bedrooms. The kids moved out and I need some extra money. That's a unit, right? Or is that two units if, if they did that? that? that That's one unit. And when you look at uh, units and sort of talking about that 1.3 million number, but then mm-hmm. when you look at what percent are actually like full-time units, like not people just mm-hmm. doing it occasionally, you essentially cut that number by half. So m- most people out there are oh, wow. not, I'm, the home isn't dedicated, isn't a dedicated short-term rental. It's something that people are doing occasionally. So how many full-time Airbnb, uh, full-time rentals are there like units? Would you yeah, say? So like single family homes, it's, it's like 400,000, four and 500,000. Yeah. All right. Now we're putting it in perspective. So 400,000 yep. out of one, 140 million. Yep. Even if they just decided all to get out of the business all at the same time, like again, I just. Yeah. And then considering that most of the supply is also like people, second homes that they, Rented as a short-term rental, and but still want to use it two or three weeks out of the year. And mm-hmm. in my mind, as an economist, it's a much better use of that asset that when it's not being used, it's being 
and being used by the homeowner and for their vacation that is being used to sort of generate overall economic activity is bringing in tourists to a destination. It's allowing them to sort of spend in that market and where the asset just isn't sitting empty the rest of the time, like is a much better use of that, that, that home. Yeah. No, like we, we could, we could fix the issue of homelessness in this country just by people with their empty bedrooms, right? Like if we chose to, right. And you do it, but that's how many empty bedrooms there are. If we wanted to, if you wanted to rent those out. Right. And even before Airbnb, there were 5 million second homes out there in the US. We've actually seen in this past decade since Airbnb came online, a reduction in the number of second homes. We see a much higher percent of those second homes on Airbnb. Because they can go Airbnb and go use somebody else's home. That's probably why they had the second home because they didn't want to do a vacation rental or whatever that is, the fractional ownership stuff, and they didn't want to do a hotel. Right, but the sort of notion that Short-term rentals are causing an increase in housing values because it's taking homes out of the sort of long-term rental or sort of dedicated house market. And the data just doesn't support it because we're seeing the number of homes sort of dedicated to second homes going down mm-hmm. and home ownership rates actually going up. Well, I do want to read you a quote. And uh, this is from Peter Dreyer. I believe he's a professor at Occidental College uh, Urban Policy. When you take units off the market and rent them to tourists, one consequence is, it, consequence is that it leads to more people fighting over fewer units, and that leads to higher rents. So Airbnbs make the housing crisis even more severe. What would you say to somebody like that? I'm, the, the, in theory, yes. Like if you reduce the amount of supply of homes, that's got to send the prices up, right? Mm-hmm. But there's so many other factors that impact home values. I'm, One, we're talking about a very small percent of the overall housing stock. And Oxford actually, Oxford Economics just did a big study looking at um, changes in home values. So Mm -hmm. from 2014 to 2021, there was a roughly 33% increase in home values over that period. And so they used our data to isolate what the impact of um, the increase in short-term rentals was of that overall uh, home value increase. And they Mm -hmm. found that short-term rental density, so the additional increase in short-term rentals over that period, added 0.4% to the overall home value increase. All right. So facts don't lie. Again, you're just looking at it going, all right, this is not the issue. How about this? We have more people and we don't have enough homes for them, so we need to build more houses. But housing is really expensive right now and interest rates are really expensive. Builders can't build cheaply. So yeah, housing prices are going up. Like there's no, I don't think there's any such... People keep talking about tiny homes, but there's very few 1,400 square foot and below houses being built. It just doesn't make sense when you're a builder. How about this? Somebody wrote this uh, from the Tennessee, and the problem isn't that some homeowners are listing their property for rent. Rather, entire neighborhoods are becoming unrecognizable because many of the homes no longer owned by community members. In other words, boy, these Airbnbs are screwing up our communities. What do you say to that? Yeah. One is that most homeowners sort of renting out their homes as a short-term rental and are trying to be good community members. And mm-hmm. and they're they're putting in noise monitoring softwares. And Airbnb has banned parties across the board and rentals. So and they're trying to take this seriously and and actually using tech to to reduce it. Um mm-hmm. another piece of it though is the way we sort of live work is changing and that there is sort of a argument to be made that 
and the need to temporarily stay in a single family home and is there um like if there's displacement because of let's say you're doing a renovation in your house and you need a place to stay for a month and you've got a f- friend in a hospital I know I've got a young kid and my parents come to stay nearby. They don't want to stay in a hotel three miles away. They want to stay in a house in a block away so they can help at 2 a.m. if it's needed. But there's so many new and emerging use cases for short-term rentals that I think most communities now are realizing that a percent, maybe it's 1%, maybe it's 2%, maybe it's 0.5% of homes and being used as a short-term rental is a healthy use case of that inventory and are sort of codifying that into the laws. So San Diego just came out with new regulation where they're saying, and community saying we're comfortable with 1% of supply being used mm-hmm. as a short-term rental. And as long as it's being taxed, as long as those units are being registered, and then they've sort of put that into place and they expected 10,000 and that sort of 1% to be registered. And they... <laughs> They found that only 5,000 people actually applied for the, I mean, for the permit. And what they found was that such a high percent of the overall inventory on Airbnb was people doing it occasionally that by putting in the registration requirement, they're just like, you know what? It, it's not, not worth, worth it, it to register. Like I was doing it occasionally. Like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you can keep it. Or they're just saying, I'll just keep it doing it the illegal way. And, and you guys might catch me, but maybe you won't. And, and then sort of the other thing we found is that some markets, and to one of your earlier points on short-term rentals may, may not be the sort of easy thing that people thought that could sa- solve the housing crisis. Like in Telluride, they put in a two-year moratorium on short-term rentals. Like you can't increase the supply. You can't add new ones. Like you saw overall number of listings going down over the past two years. And they still saw housing prices skyrocket. And they also found that their ability to earn revenue for their uh, market had declined substantially given that they didn't have the taxes coming from their short-term rentals. So now they're sort of changing the tune of like, all right, we want short-term rentals. We want to tax them because mm-hmm. it can bring in revenue to help us actually build more housing inf- inventory for lower-income households. And that mm-hmm. the the way to solve it is by building more supply. It's not through restricting use cases of existing homes. Interesting. So it, it sounds to me like Airbnb, like this my personal view, is the boogeyman under the bed that doesn't really exist. It's just, it's convenient to say, hey, what was that noise? Oh, it's the boogeyman. Yep. You know, what's causing <laughs> the prices to go up? Oh, the boogeyman is that, that Airbnb, you know, the, the boogeyman, the Airbnb, right? And it's not really what they're representing. Cause, uh, yeah, I looked at the same numbers before. I, 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 I it seemed to me like Airbnb has been growing robustly. In some cities, I remember Phoenix, there was so little inventory that the prices per unit were really high, but they were way high and compared to rents. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, even when they came back down and people were like, Phoenix is crashing, it was twice as high as you'd get if you just rented your house, right? So like, it's still, it's not like a dead revenue generator. Yep. So that said, What's the prospects in 2024? Are you expecting Airbnbs to still grow? Is this still an area that people should be exploring from an investment standpoint? Yeah. And we do expect more investment to coming in. Um, our expectation is is about a, another 10% increase in overall supply over the next year. That supply is going to be going in in different areas than we've maybe seen in the past. And uh, home values and affordability 
are, are really impacting that of like, where mm-hmm. does it make sense to make new investments? And it's moving away from maybe some of the coastal and mountain markets that have seen really high housing price appreciation mm-hmm. to some of the more smaller mid-sized cities. Uh, some of the suburban areas of major cities are, are really great investment opportunities right now. So I, it's really I'm dependent on the type of market, uh, where you are mm-hmm. within the market on where it makes sense. But there's still a lot of areas that make sense for, for new investment in, in short-term rentals. So a good place to start might be to go to your site at AirDNA and take a look at the cities that have the highest score because that looks like that's a great place to invest, right? Yeah. And we have new tools on where you can actually short all the, sort all the cities in the, in the country, sort of get a sense of the size of the market, uh, the type of market. Do you want to go into a beach market? And what are the beach markets with the highest occupancy with more than 500 listings? Like that's an easy sort on our site now and sort of helps you find new and profitable markets to invest in. Well, perfect. Well, Jamie, I told you this would be about 20 minutes. We went a little bit over. Thank you for coming in and shooting straight and uh, helping us actually talk about facts instead of emotion and uh, and clearing some of this up. Is there anything else you want to add? Oh, Toby, this was a lot of fun. Um, I'll tell people if you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter, Jamie underscore Lane on LinkedIn. And we do have host a podcast of my own called the SDR Data Lab, where we talk about short-term rental performance, investing and interviewing um, large professional operators. Perfect. We'll put those links in uh, when it goes on YouTube. And uh, uh, thanks again. We put it on the podcast and all those notes. So we'll make sure people get driven over to you because, again, facts don't care about our feelings. And it's, uh, <laughs> and, and it's sometimes we need to actually look at the facts, especially when it comes to your money. Uh, make intelligent decisions, guys. Thanks again, Jamie. You, you've been awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time out to come on. I know you've been busy. So uh, hopefully we'll see you again. Oh, thanks, Toby. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 